of the STEM Informed Podcast. I'm Sean. And this is Eddie. And today we're going to be interviewing Tom Murphy, a professor at Electrical Engineering. So Tom, can you tell us more about what you do? Uh, sure. Thanks so much for, for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm, I'm glad to have this opportunity to share a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'm a professor of electrical and computer engineering. I have worked here at the University of Maryland since I started in 2002. Um, so, uh, and I've always been in STEM, so my training is as an electrical engineer. Uh, my job here is basically to educate the next generation of scientists and engineers. Um, that includes people that are studying to become electrical or computer engineers at the undergraduate level all the way up to graduate level. So people who are learning how to conduct research and uh, publish scientific papers and, and uh, invent things like that. So I work with students at all different levels of their career. Nice. So I was wondering, since you're a professor who is basically educating the next generation of entrepreneurs and revolutionary STEM engineers and whatnot. I was wondering, is there a specific kind of student or a student that has certain attributes that are favored to success that you've seen? Um, you know, that's a good question, and it's very hard to, I think, um, to predict. So, having being familiar with first, do you know what gracious professionalism is? Ah, uh, yes, I do. Uh, I do. Uh, so, I mean, are you testing me and asking yeah. me to define uh, so, it for people? <laughs> so, working at the university, do you often like see examples of gracious professionalism among the students or coworkers? Uh, yeah, I think you do. Um, but I also think that you don't uniformly see it everywhere. And so that's why programs like FIRST are really very important to instill that ethos at a very young age. Um, I think there is a stereotype, an unfortunate stereotype about people in STEM careers and in engineering and computers that, that's sort of cold and impersonal and uh, self-interested. And there's also some stereotypes about um, entrepreneurial activities that it's entirely um, you know, personally driven or profit driven yeah. or motivated by mm. success in those ways. And 
those are things that I find that um, it repels a certain category of people from the discipline, which is mm. really unfortunate. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged because I see a lot of young people that want to go into science and engineering fields because they, run, they want to change the world. Um, they want to contribute. They like the interconnectedness of society, and they see the role as a scientist or as an engineer is really uh, enhancing that. And, and part of gracious professionalism is meant to sort of instill that in people, for people to see the field of science and engineering as, uh, you know, as, a, as a calling and, and not just as an opportunity. Yeah, you, you made a good point there, Tom, um, and, and that... Um, recently, a lot of the new inventions in uh, beneficial technology has really been for monetary gain. And you don't really see people trying to change the world as much anymore. But, um, and, and they're, but they're still out there. And those are people that are um, awesome to look up to because they can be inspirational to anybody. I was wondering if there was like a specific um, engineer or, or inventor or innovative disruptor or whatever you would like to call it that you sort of look up to or that you idolize? Hmm. Uh, that's a, you know, I've benefited from a lot of very good mentors and teachers along the way. Um, you know, I, I had some, uh, some people that I worked with when I was in graduate school that I really did look up to because I felt like they embodied certain things that are, are rare. So uh, I had a mentor when I was in graduate school named Eric Ippen. And he was really a pioneer of, of laser systems, nonlinear effects in lasers. And one of the things I realized was that he started his career not in an academic profession, but at a place, um, uh, Bell Laboratories, which was not really the same today as it was back then, but uh, they had, I think, much different motivations. Uh, you would think that someone who worked for a major telecom company would be primarily driven by you know, profit and product development, but that really wasn't the case back then. Um, you know, they really had a very strong scientific uh, focus. Yeah. And really, uh, the focus was on doing things right and not worrying so much about, you know, promoting mm. your work or popularizing your work. And I think he carried that idea throughout his entire career. Uh, so I looked up to him uh, both for the quality and the, the depth of his work. Uh, but also, he was just a gentleman, like uh, uh, me still is, so he's, he's not as active anymore in the field. But uh, really, uh, he showed how to interact with other people in a way that was uh, diplomatic and mutually beneficial. Uh, so that's something I always took with me. I think that's really interesting to hear about, Tom, to hear how uh, your like, role, model, role model during grad school kind of like I, I like I, I bet that he nearly shaped you to be who you are today and I think that also really shows how that you're a sponsor for the FLL team World of Autobotics and so I was just wondering what do you think about FIRST in general like the opportunities it gives to students or like just any anything you really think about it um I'm a big fan of it. Uh, you know, I got interested in it because I was invited to be a judge for one of these first tech challenge events. And when I started talking to the people that were participating in it, it was clear that all of them had started earlier when they were doing Legos in, in middle school and maybe even elementary school. And I thought, well, this sounds really great. You know, I need to get kids in my area interested in that. 
Um, so I really do appreciate what First is trying to do. I um, I have I wouldn't say that I'm like a uh, trying to proselytize people about the benefits of it, but I do often find myself having to educate people about what First is. Uh, part of it is an unfortunate acronym. So I say First, and they think, "Oh, is this the first time it's being run?" And I have to explain that no, that's an acronym. But I think what always impresses people, like if I'm arranging a field trip for my team or if I'm trying to get someone to volunteer as a judge or something, or if I'm reaching out to a parent of a, a kid that might be interested in joining, what always strikes them is when I explain that it's a completely volunteer-driven organization. Because around here, especially in our area, which is, you know, it's, it's a relatively affluent area, parents are really used to activities that are, uh, that are corporate or that are driven by profit where you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for tuition for your your son or daughter to be on a team or to take special after school courses Mm -hmm. and for them to understand that there's this program that's entirely volunteer driven the cost to entry is is truly minuscule compared to many of the other things that that people are paying for um i think they're really inspired by that i think it gives um it makes people uh really want to help out more than they would you know, I see, like, uh, my kids are also involved in sports. And sports programs, you know, you have to buy the uniforms and pay yeah. the team fees and mm-hmm. the court fees and the well. league fees and everything. Uh, and because parents and families are paying so much for those things, I think it's harder to get them to actually volunteer their time because they feel like they're buying a service. But yeah. with first, yeah. uh, also- the fact that it's a nonprofit organization and totally volunteer-run, I think you get people much more engaged in it for that reason, and I, there's a, there's a room for there's room for that. I think it's good that they have that and that it's done that way. And and also uh, for any sort of service or activity that requires volunteering, people don't volunteer because of the money, obviously, but the fact that you have this community of people that that love just they just love STEM and they love passing the torch onto the next generation and inspiring and developing that that's when you know that you know like first is such a good organization uh because you were mentioning those those other leagues that you have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to apply to at that point do you really like what you're doing or are you doing it because you have to <laughs> it's well around here it's usually not the it's it's often not the kids but you know it's the parents who yeah. are enrolling their kids in programs but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just different. It's it's very different. Mm. So, as a now a coach for an FLL team, and you have been working as a professor for UMD, is you are now a teacher yourself. And do you wish you have? Uh, do you wish like your own teacher in the past have taught you anything, and you try to implement into your own lessons with either the FLL team or with your students at UMD? Oh, I I do actually. So here's a like. So we didn't have uh, the Lego robotics like this when I was a kid, but I do remember, at least when I was in high school, not, not in elementary school. I mean, you gotta remember, this is, we're going way back here, so computer technology, home computers are just kind of starting out, so we can be forgiven for not having too much of that, but, but I do remember learning you know, basic things about electronics and programming when I got to high school, and I do remember the lessons that I, that I learned from that. Um, and I do actually insist that the, the people on my team follow those and adhere those. I, I will also say that 
I see the end point, or not really the end point, but the next step in the process. Because when they come here to the University of Maryland, they're going to take ENES 100, which is like the first engineering design course that they will take as a student here. And what are they doing? They're learning how to program using microcontrollers, and they're building robots and working on mm, teams and yeah. trying to solve missions and problems. And so um, I see the kind of training that they need, and, and I realize when they get it in college that this is a lot of the stuff that we're teaching them is stuff they could have picked up in high school. And in some cases, even earlier than that, there's no reason why they can't introduce some of these things earlier, except for the fact that they don't seem to have any room in the curriculum. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I do. I do apply those things. I mean, a common thing is like, uh, you know, I never let, and this is something I learned from my teachers when I was younger. Um, I don't like it when people come to me and say something's not working without having a diagram or a circuit diagram or a program code that they can point to and outline so that it, that's understandable. And I've made it my policy that they, they really have to have that before they come for advice because they can't just, they can't expect another person to be able to debug and do all the yeah, and document definitely, definitely. their work for them. <laughs> and they learn very quickly how useful it is. Um, and I insist, like, if something's not working with one person's code, that another person be able to, or another person's circuit, that a second person be able to troubleshoot it. Because that implies that the first person has to explain to the other person what's going on. Mm. Um, this is really important. So these are kinds of things that I've, I've learned along the way that I try to convey. Um, yeah, and that's actually really insightful. And um, on top of that, I have this other point where you, you know, uh, they're pushing the love of STEM at such a young age now. And it's not even about the age. You have kids taking STEM classes in elementary and middle school. And then you have uh, so many more, you know, girls going into STEM, minorities. And you're seeing this growth of STEM, uh, especially in students, um, most likely people that you teach. But, and, and this is a common uh, scene from a movie that you, it might uh, ring a bell, but the student that goes up to the professor after class with this amazing idea that could change the world, and that becomes the main plot. So I was wondering if you ever, uh, like what is the most insightful or significant thing or idea that a student has come up to you with, uh, if any, and um, you know if it's if it's something that you uh, can't well, disclose on, then that's fine. But you know, I, I wish I had uh, a nugget or gem like that that I could share. But I I will say, um, I've learned to never underestimate students, and this goes to students of all ages. Um, I used to, when I started my job as a professor at the University of Maryland, I used to be somewhat conservative in what I would ask my students to do. And I would tell them, you know, here's what I want you to try in the lab and build it this way and order these parts and put them together. And, and, um, and I realized that I was basically limiting them to be, uh, to do ex essentially what I would do if I had two of me. And that's not really very helpful. Um, so what I learned was that never underestimate people. Uh, sometimes someone will come to you with a crazy idea and you think you're smarter than them. Uh, nah, it's not gonna work. <laughs> and this happened, this happened in Lego Robotics. It's happened yeah. in other things in my life too. I, that'll never work. Uh, but you know, I'm, one thing I realized was, well, two things. One is uh, I'm, I'm never as, I'm not always right that it's not gonna work. 
sometimes it actually does mm-hmm. uh, you know and uh, and also the second thing is that sometimes people sometimes I was right but they learn it much more much better if they try it and it doesn't work for themselves yeah and uh, there's there's true value in that like how do I know it's not going to work? It's either because I tried it once and it didn't work, uh, and I learned that lesson the hard way or the best way, really, because now I know exactly why it's not going to work. And it may be difficult for me to explain it to other people, but I'm constantly amazed. I mean, the intuition that people come and the ideas that they have about things that uh, I never say never. And if someone has an idea, I give them the freedom to pursue it, even if I think it might be a dead end, because I'm never sure when it might actually pan <laughs> out. Sometimes it does. It might be like it might be like one in five times. Yeah. But you know, those one in five times are really remarkable. And, yeah, um, it's true. You can't really judge an idea unless you're seeing it from the perspective of the person that made it. It's almost like, um, you know, um, people probably thought that. The, the cell phone was crazy until it was done. Uh, there's this famous quote from Nelson Mandela, it always seems impossible until it's done. And that quote has stuck with me pretty much my whole life. Yeah. And I also think that we see this in robotics where we t- t- sometimes think that, oh, this idea is crazy, this will never work. And then once we actually implement it, it's actually like one of the best ideas we've ever created. And I think, um, Sometimes it's kind of crazy to see some FLL teams and some FTC teams and other other robotic organizations that may not be associated with FIRST try to incorporate something that has never been done before, such as using machine learning or artificial intelligence to further their robots autonomous just to find a block in a competition like FTC. And we can see these changes and these technological advances further in these companies like Tesla, like Apple, like Amazon. That will help benefit our, our, all of our everyday lives. So I just have a question for you for people out around our age of what advice can you give for people our age, like um, maybe even younger than us? Yeah, okay, here's my advice is, uh, you know, keep up the good work in school and make sure you stay on top of things, but uh, don't get burned out. I think so often, and uh, I see it especially around our area, uh, they they push all the STEM courses earlier and earlier and earlier so that these days, I mean, people aren't learning. People are finishing calculus in their junior year, and they don't have math courses to take in their senior year. Um, it's fine to get extra preparation. It's fine to push yourself and to challenge yourself. All those are good things, but not if it deprives you of the curiosity and of the enthusiasm for things you know take it as it comes and find some way to find some recreation in the stem as well if you can whether it's you know um you know these competitions like first or other things like that uh you know make sure you leave room and space for that in your schedule because otherwise uh i mean that's what's really exciting about it that's what's fun about it uh, try to focus on the things that involve science, math, and engineering that, um, that aren't things like an assignment where there's a right answer and a wrong answer, but are more like an activity where there's multiple answers. Uh, I think those are the kinds of things that make people, that bring people satisfaction and that keep people going when there's always going to be exercises and, and facts and things that you have to learn. Mm. Uh, 
focus on the creative things and it'll 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 keep things exciting for you definitely um, oh. and actually uh, what you mentioned was very important because creativity is something that is not usually paired with technical skills like what you'd be doing in electrical engineering and comp sci and they uh scientists and and psychologists tend to uh pair this a lot with the terms um left brain and right brain have you heard of those uh yeah yeah so they say that some people are more right brain oriented than others or left brain oriented where they would like to use technical skills more than uh creativity and visualization and I was wondering if you think that this is true, or do you think that it's that more uh, engineers actually have to use both sides of their brain to complete the task? Oh, I think everyone needs to use both sides in one way or, or another. Um, but I guess what my point was, um, it's not just about completing the task. Um, we're so focused on tasks and completing it. It's also about satisfaction and uh, you know if you uh it, the earlier in your life you can actually do something whether it's technical or not for which you're not going there's no there's no award there's no grade there's no evaluation but that you nonetheless derive satisfaction from yeah uh, the earlier you have that experience the better and the, that's those are the most formative things because that's really kind of telling you you know, I like doing this. And you know what? Even if we don't make it to the next round or even if I, this isn't going to be graded, I find this, uh, I get a satisfaction from doing it this way, for doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's a little different that way. Maybe it's like uh, doing something that's especially creative or different. For some people, it's just like, uh, uh, and they're, they're, uh, they're called maybe attention to detail or uh, they're especially... Uh, careful about how they do things, but they take an incredible amount of pride in preparing something that's neat and organized. And, and you know, you have to pay attention to those little things that uh, just keep you going. Yeah. And so, uh, linking back to the advice for the youth, I think the advice you gave was very good for anyone listening in, and especially if you were to tell those to your students. But uh, speaking of the youth, I know that as a teacher and as uh, as a coach, you have you have firsthand interaction with both our future for regarding STEM, electrical, or co- computer science, and so. And I would like to ask, uh, what do you think about our computer science and electrical future, especially as we as we just started our decade with 2020? Do you see any interesting innovations that might pop up or and, learning and, all that? And to add on. Um, you're, you're a teacher, so you must have seen this. You've experienced uh, the new generation. You've probably gotten advice and been mentored by the last generation. You've seen creativity and maybe even genius on all sides. And, and I, I bet you've come into contact with one of these uh, few that they, they say has the X factor. And when we say X factor, we mean uh, just the gift of like wanting to help others and having an idea that might be very revolutionary. You know, we talk about Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, or um, you know, people that have done crazy things that that everyone says are not possible, and and it, it's helped so much. Um, and as we go into this new decade of the twenties, 
we're about to see a whole lot new, uh, a whole lot more new technology, especially in computer science. Now that technology is evolving with us, so I think what Eddie means is that in the next decade, in this new decade, what do you think? What do you think that w this decade will be known for in terms of engineering? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and nobody really knows the answer. So if they tell you they do, it, they're probably not being totally honest. Um, I think um, I think the future is bright for people, especially those that want to be uh, shaping this future for us in science and, and engineering, programming, computers. Um, but I think it's also going to change and. The things that are considered, let's say, academic disciplines now are things that might even in five years be considered more like uh, trades. And uh, so there are, uh, you're going to see, you know, let me put it this way, like when they invented the automobile, it was probably invented by scientists and engineers. And they weren't thinking about having mechanics and uh, yeah. and people at all different levels and I think you know computing and artificial intelligence could very well go that way where there are going to be people that are developing the new technologies but then there's going to be a whole range of things across the economic sector all the way down to repair and and all of these things are going to be important mm -hmm. and there'll be innovations at all levels you know uh, so I you know I think it's um, I think you're going to see a lot more um, computer human interactions and computer assisted and artificial intelligence and machine learning assisted design and things like that that's all already here in many cases but that's mm -hmm. all coming and uh, yeah it's already changing how we teach it's already changing how we um, think about the profession um, it's changing what we require people to learn I mean is there really a point in people learning mathematics the same way when so much mathematics can be done by a computer now? Mm -hmm. Even what we thought of as fundamental things like trigonometry and calculus are problems that any computer can symbolically handle for you. So, uh, you know, many people, old school people think, oh, this is terrible. Our, our students don't have to learn calculus anymore. But when you think about it, it means that we could abbreviate some of that and they could do a lot more and so i think this is coming this is these are changes i see in the future for education uh you know the focus on things like arithmetic well that's not as important if people have calculators we don't learn long division anymore because uh it's not as important uh that kind of simplification of how we do math and the movement from rote to uh, higher level is something that you're going to see pervading all of science and engineering education, I think. Mm -hmm. mm. That's, that's a good point. I, and I also think that's really interesting to think that all of our uh, old, like old school math, math and sciences are kind of slowly getting more and more uh, obsolete as computers are starting to become more and more advanced as before calculus seemed like impossible for a computer to do but now it seems like a seems like a knife cutting on hot butter where a computer can usually do something that a student or a mathematician would take a while to solve and i think that's really interesting to hear about and i think due to us being into first and being heavily engaged in stem that we are also going to try to continue this uh to like 
take on the take on the torch of advancing our technology further than what we previous thought previously thought and so um i just have one final question for you is that um how how do you think students now what do you think what skills should they develop in order to pat in order to carry on the torch effectively and uh, efficiently yeah that's a good question um i think uh common thing that uh, students need to learn that we don't really seem to focus on enough is uh, communication and, and uh, skills and working together. Over and over I've seen that the students who have strong ability in communicating to other people, describing things and working together, and those two things, communication and, and teamwork, they really go together because you know if, if you can communicate well to members of a team about what, need, what you think needs to be done, uh, what you've done already, you can make a more f- effective and functioning team. And these are the two things that I think people really need to focus a lot on, the most important skills. The other things, you know, whether it's the technical skills and the proficiency in science and math, those you can learn in a classroom, but the, the, the teamwork and the communication is really something that requires you to do beyond that. Wow, that was a good way to tie it back yeah. to education. Because I guess education is everything, you know. Yeah, you learn definitely. factors into what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so is there, do you have anything else that you would uh, like to say as final words as um, as we close up this interview? Is there anything? No, uh, listen, I, I wanted to just thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. It's, it's great to, to talk to you and to anyone else that might be listening. Uh, I always like thinking about careers in STEM and what it takes to prepare yourself for careers in STEM. It's great uh, seeing your team also and knowing some of the, the people on your team and seeing how well, far thank they've you. gone. And thank you for coming. It was yeah, great thank you so much. You. Very you offered so much insightful information and you're a great talker. Yeah, thank yeah. you for your great advice for us, uh, All right. the new generation. All right, we'll keep in touch. Great. All right. All right. Okay, thank, thank you, you so right. much. Have a good All night. Right. Okay, bye. And this is the end of episode four. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and hope you guys come back for more episodes. This is STEM Informed signing off.